chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life to our soul. And we pray that as we open it and look into it, that you will minister to us, that you will speak to us. Holy Spirit, that you will change us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, how many of you run a marathon in this room? Anybody run a marathon? Raise your hand. Look at here. One right over One's run a marathon right here. How many of you never planned to run a marathon? Raise your hand. There you go. Okay. That's right. Let me give you one rendition of one who ran a marathon, and sir, you will probably connect with this lady's description of the marathon that she ran, her first one. She described it this way, miles 1 through 12, I'm totally crushing this. Miles 13 through 15, bear in mind it's 26 miles, and you must remember this, 385 yards. Miles 13 and 15, this is starting to get painful and tedious. Miles 16 and 17, the only thing that makes this tolerable is that I only have to do this for approximately one more hour. Mile 18, I really would rather be doing something else right now. Mile 19, I am never doing this again. (laughs) Mile 20, don't talk to me, don't even look at me. Mile 21, At least I am firing better than those people who went out too fast and are now walking in pain. Mile 22, only three miles left. Mile 23, oops, I did the math wrong. (laughs) Mile 24, let the worst 15 minutes of my life begin. Mile 25, my misery will be over in approximately 10 minutes. Mile 26, why did they make this course like this anyway? The last 385 yards. I really don't care if my organs explode from sprinting too fast. I just really want this to be over. Does that sound correct? That's sir. There you go. That's from experience right there. Hebrews chapter 12 turns our attention to a foot race in the Olympic Games in the first century. Probably not the marathon, because the marathon wasn't created in the Olympics until 1896, but nonetheless a foot race, an event that required endurance, required stamina, required courage, required focus, just the ability to hang in there. The author of Hebrews is going to say that the Christian life is much like a long-distance run. You've heard that before. But when you really know it's a wrong-distance run is when you as a Christian find yourself saying things like this. This is starting to get painful and quite tedious. I really would rather be doing something else right now. And why did God design my course like this? Why couldn't it have been like hers or been like his? This is how the original audience probably felt in the book of Hebrews. 
What you know about the book of Hebrews is that the people under great persecution, difficult, hardship. And the, the author of Hebrews is encouraging these folks, these little church in Rome, these Christians, to persevere in the Christian life. They were beginning to drift from God, as the text says. It says they were beginning to fall from God. They were becoming hardened by sin. Some were defecting and leaving the church. And so the author is seeking to bring it back together and encourage them to persevere, to hang in there, to stay the course. So the author of Hebrews is going to become a coach. And he's going to do what good coaches do in practice when the tough really gets going. He's going to tell you to hang in there. Pick it up. Pick up the pace. Don't quit. Stay the course. That's what he's doing throughout this book of Hebrews. It's one of the warmest, most encouraging, gracious books in all of Scripture. All books are on the Scriptures. But it is also one of the most hard-hitting. It will not allow you to be complacent in your Christian life if you take it to heart. It comes straight on. It doesn't stutter. It speaks very straightly about what you need to do to grab hold of the grace of God and persevere and stay the course to the end. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is going to answer two questions for us this morning. Number one, what is the race or what is the Christian life really like? according to this passage. And how am I to run it? What is it like? And how am I to run it? Let's first get a description, as the author describes it in verses 1, of what the Christian life is really like. And if you've walked with Jesus for any length of period of time, you'll connect with these things. You'll know them to be true. First is this, and this is a very encouraging note. The first thing we learn about the Christian life, about this race is that it is possible to finish. It is possible. We find this in verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, and then he continues on. It's the scene of a great coliseum. The event is a foot race. The participants, according to this text, is the author of Hebrews, his church that he is writing to, and you and me. The cloud of witnesses, all those men of women of great faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But they're not spectators sitting in the Colosseum watching the foot race. No, they're more couched in this terms. They are men who come alongside and they encourage you along in the race. They're simply saying to us in Hebrews chapter 11, we finished. And most of them finished life and the Christian life in a very difficult way. Some were sawed in two. And it's just simply shouting out to us, it's possible. Look at our lives. We finished by God's grace. The Apostle Paul's last words would be this. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The Hebrew writer is simply encouraging this little church in Rome and saying this. Folks, it's possible. You can finish I know it's difficult. I know they are plundering your property. I know that they're threatening to kill you, but you can finish. It's possible. It's good to know these things when you're fighting cancer. It's good to know these things when you still struggle with your shameful events of your past that still have a hold on your heart and at times make you want to quit. It's good to know these things when the Christian culture or the non-Christian culture pushes against you 
It makes you want to compromise. Good to know these things. It's possible by the grace of God. Second thing we learn about this race, this Christian life, is that the run will be difficult. It will be difficult. He says, let us run with endurance the race. The word race is egon. It's the word we get agony from. Life can quickly turn into an agonizing struggle overnight. And this presents us a problem in our American culture because by and large in our American culture, the mindset today is that if you want happiness in life, then what you must do, you must avoid struggle. You must avoid hardship. You must avoid discomfort. Yet we cannot avoid it. It will find us. It will surprise us. Does God like suffering? No. When Jesus knew of Lazarus' death, he wept. He wept because of the pain and the suffering that was present in this world. But in his heart, he knew one day it would all be over and he'd finish it and there would be no more suffering. And yet God graciously uses the suffering in this world because of sin in our lives. And that's a very gracious thing of God. Think of it this way. If you want to get into better physical shape, one of the things you might want to do is what? Exercise. What does exercise do to your body? It puts stress on it. Whether it's cardio, whether it's weightlifting, whatever, it puts stress on it, and that stress causes your body to get in better shape. And likewise, in the Christian life, God allows stress, God allows pain, God allows endurance, which comes to all people, to come into our lives to strengthen our spiritual life. One day he'll remove the whole thing. He'll cure the whole disease. Here's something else. When you exercise, maybe you're lifting weights, maybe you're doing burpees, I I don't know, but you're exercising and you're really going after it and your body feels so weak. Sometimes when you work out very well, you, you feel so weak, you can barely move, you can barely walk when you've had a good workout. Yet, physically, the weaker you get, you feel in your exercise, actually, the stronger you're getting. Does that remind you of something in the Bible? In the Apostle Paul say, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Possibly in your head and in my head, we're too strong. We need to feel weaker. You see, the race of running with faith, trusting God, is hard. It's a struggle. At times, it's agonizing. But the struggle will make you stronger in Christ. We're not surprised by suffering as Christians. We expect it's part of living in a fallen world. Yet our well-being, our happiness, is not dependent upon avoiding struggle. Because God uses it in our lives for our good. What else do we learn about this race? One final thing. The run is marked out. Your Christian life is marked out. 
Notice what he says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The NIV says, let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. God has perfectly designed the route for you, the course for you. I'm not called to run your race and you're not called to run mine. The hardships you're experiencing right now have been allowed in your life by the hand of God. The great and gracious experiences you're having right now have been designed by God's hand. God has designed your route. It's marked out. And that should give us a great amount of peace, shouldn't it? That should give us a great amount of comfort. That no matter what comes into my life, part of his route that he's designed in the race he's called me to to run. Remember John 21? It's one of those fascinating stories in the Bible. Jesus tells Peter, this is after his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus tells Peter how he will die. They were having that conversation, walking along the shoreline. He says, Peter, your arms will be stretched out and you will go where you don't want to go. We know from tradition that Peter died a crucified death upside down. You remember what Peter did when he was walking with Jesus and Jesus told him that? He noticed John walking somewhere behind them or maybe in front of them. And Peter asked Jesus, okay, this is my lot. I'm not sure I like this lot, but what about him? What about him, Jesus? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? What difference does it make to you how I work in his life and what direction I live in his life? Whether it's good times or hard times, you follow me. That can keep us from some jealousy in other people's lives when we see them being successful, can it? See, Jesus calls us to run our race that he has laid out for us. So the race, what we learn about the Christian life, what it's like, that it's possible, it's difficult, but it's also marked out. Now, how do we run this race? What is the author in the book of Hebrews telling us about how we are to run or to live out the Christian life? He's not telling us everything about the Christian life. Again, he's writing to a group of people who are going through some really tough times, and so he's pulling out some things to really communicate to them about how they need to live the Christian life in the midst of where they are. He tells them three things, at least three things to do in how to live out the Christian life. Number one, You and I must run, live out the Christian life. We must run with less. This is where less is really more. First, you must run with less sin. Look at what he says. Let us also lay aside every sin which clings so closely. That sin that clings so closely refers to the sin that you're probably most likely to commit. King James describes that as the besetting sins in our lives. What is that for you? Where are you often tempted to struggle and to sin? The author says, lay it aside. Put it down. Kill it. Don't play with it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, the author gives some very practical advice to 
the church, and he says this, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. You see, he's striking some needs in the congregation, some struggles in the congregation. I would say in our culture today, that struggle is still present. When the marriage bed is dishonored and defiled, the many forms of means of doing that. The author is saying, put it down. Lay it aside. One of the things that I've seen in my own life is that you cannot remove sin unless you replace it with someone better. Every human being has strong desires. We're desires creatures. We long for things because we're empty. And when you remove sin, seek to remove it, you must replace it with someone far better, and that is Jesus himself. All that you seek in sin is far more fulfilled in Jesus. So the author says, run with less sin. He also says run with something else less. Run with less weight. You see that? Let us also lay aside every weight which clings so closely. Now, not every weight is sin. The weight could be a very good thing in your life. But has become a most important thing in your life. John Piper gives this insight. He said, the question for us here is not, is it a sin, but does it help me run? Is it holding me back? Is it a weight that's slowing me down? You know, the Olympic runners in the ancient times when they would run quite often, they would would actually strip themselves down and run with nothing on. So that no amount of weight was hindering them for performing in the the race to the best of their ability. I'm not saying that the Bible does not allow us to enjoy the good things of life, right? It's a blessing of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, God provides us with good things to enjoy. And we should enjoy them. But we also need to be reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul where he said, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So what's dominating you? What are the good things in your life that have become the most important things in your life? That you find yourself unwilling, struggling to let go of. That which might be hindering your faith and your courage and your vitality and your love for God. What is it? God says, lay it down. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, again in this very practical session, is a verse we looked at our church, looked at in our church last week. A verse that is just shocking to me. 
He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing wrong with money, is there? Not a thing wrong with money. Make as much as you can. Be generous with what you make, but make as much as you can. The problem is the love of money. But you know what's so shocking about this verse? This is what's so shocking about this verse. He is saying this to a small church in Rome, a group of people who are being persecuted for their faith. If you go back to chapter 10, it says that they were even plundering their property. These folks, some of them are homeless. And he is saying, oh, one other thing, folks. Be free from the love of money. Are you kidding me? How insensitive of a pastor to say such to folks. Did he not take the counseling course in seminary? I mean, but obviously, you don't have to have a whole lot of money to love money. And obviously, there are some things far more important to God than you and my personal comfort. Do you know that if you make $50,000 a year, you're wealthier than 99% of every living person on the face of the earth. It's time for a C.S. Lewis quote, right? Uh, you know, Presbyterians, they give a C.S. Lewis quote about right now. So let me give you a C.S. Lewis quote. One of the most startling quotes of C.S. Lewis I've ever read. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. He who has God in everything has no more than he who has God alone. The author just simply says, the weight that so easily entangles you, that weighs you down, lay it aside. The sins and even the good things that have become important things. So let me give you an action point as you go home this evening on this Sabbath day. This week, take out a pad and a pencil. Write down the the sins and the weights that hinder your relationship with God. Think through the ways that you're making provisions for these sins and weights. Then pray your way through each struggle asking God to give you strength and power to lay them aside. And then maybe share that with someone you're close to. So run with less. Second way in how to run the Christian life, very quickly, run with endurance. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endure, persevere, remain, stay the course, bear under. In 1981, Bill Broadhurst entered the Pepsi Challenge, a 10,000-meter race. Yet surgery 10 years earlier due to an aneurysm on his brain had left, had left his left side paralyzed. Now on this July morning in Omaha, Nebraska, he stands with 1,200 other men to begin this race. 
the gun sounds, and the crowd surges forward. And Bill, because of the paralysis, takes his left leg, swings it forward, then throws his leg forward. 10,000 meters he did this over and over again. All the runners, most of the ones, finished in 30, 40 minutes. It took Bill two and a half hours. After the race, a man approached Bill Broadhurst, and Bill recognized him. His name was Bill Rogers, fairly famous marathon runner. And he walked over to Bill Broadhurst and took a, a gold medal that he had recently won and put it over Broadhurst's neck, and he wore it. You see, Bill Broadhurst finished was as great as the world-famous Bill Rogers, even though he finished last. Why was it so great? Because he finished. He endured to the end. He stayed the course. Hardships tend to pull us away from Jesus. They can. Sometimes they can push us towards him, and we want them to. But they can cause us to pull away, to retreat from prayer and from Bible study, from doing the right thing. Vince Lombardi once said this, fatigue can make a coward out of all of us. The author of Hebrews as the coach is just saying to the church, stay the course, endure, don't give up. And then finally, we must run with focus. Run with less, run with endurance, and then finally run with focus. We find this in verse 2, very famous verse, looking to Jesus, the, the perfecter and founder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The founder, the author, the trailblazer of the faith, the human, Jesus, who was divine, but the humanity of Jesus that persevered and endured and finished. The perfecter, the one who gives us the strength and the power to endure and to finish and to stay the course. It was for the joy that was set before him. What is the joy for you and me in running the Christian life? What is the finish line? Well, the answer we want to give is to have him, right? To be with him. What was the joy for Jesus? To have you and me. The joy for Jesus to endure and to persevere was so he could have you and me. And having you and me was worth the race. What a motivation to run. What a motivation to stay the course. The Christian life, no matter where you may find yourself this morning, and maybe you find yourself in a very sweet spot spiritually. Maybe it's very difficult. Maybe you're drifting. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you're not even sure what the Christian life's all about. You're investigating to see what it is all about. What a motivation to run. The love and the grace of Jesus. It's possible. It's difficult. But it's marked out. So run with less sin, although you'll never remove it all. 
Run with less weight, those things that tie you down. Run with endurance and keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the graciousness that you have extended to us through your written word that teaches us about you, teaches us about ourselves, and coaches us and mentors us and trains us and disciples us and moves us to live a life to its fullest. God, you're after our joy because you are filled with joy to have us. And I cannot comprehend or understand why you would be, but you said that you are. May our joy increase. May our faith increase. May our endurance and stamina increase as we seek to be what you've called us to be and to impact this world and this culture for you. We pay this in Christ's name. Amen.